2016 was a strange year, and not just because of political and cultural shifts. It was an incredibly exciting year for science and engineering. For me personally, it marked the start of a new epoch in the field of artificial intelligence, or AI. I'm specifically referring to an event that took place early that year, the match between DeepMind's program called AlphaGo and the world champion of Go, Lee Sedol. Go is a game of simple rules, but lots of possible game trajectories, making it difficult for conventional computer algorithms. When AlphaGo won 4 out of 5 games, it somehow felt incredibly consequential because many of the so-called experts had dismissed this possibility and had told this, i.e. computer beating the world champion of Go, would not happen for at least another 10 years. When this was disproved, a lot of people felt that this was an important point in history. I believe later that year, I attended a talk by David Silver, the scientist who led the development of AlphaGo. It was a technical talk discussing neural networks, search algorithms, but the auditorium at University College London, where the talk took place, was packed with students and professors most of whom could not contain the excitement. It was inspiring. 2016 and the years since have represented a shift in society's attitudes towards AI. Some of that has been cultural, with TV shows like Westworld presenting a plausible, even if distant, future. But a lot of it was very practical, with the rise of politicians like Andrew Yang, who started a discussion on the impact of AI in the workforce. After seeing more and more people at the factories being replaced by machines, it was no longer crazy to assume that this automation would spread to white-collar sectors of the economy, the process that people like Yang and Klaus Schwab called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. As I'm recording this in 2022, what can be said about where we are at? Automation hasn't yet had the effect predicted by some in fields like medicine or transport. But machine learning has had a surprising impact in other areas that few people expected. GitHub Copilot is a program that auto-completes code and text in general. When it was released, I thought it is just a silly toy with very little practical use. But now, I use it every day, coding simulations, plotting graphs, or writing prose. In all of these cases, Copilot feels like an extension of my mind either predicting my thoughts or suggesting typically useful solutions. Of course, there exist criticisms that whatever we call machine learning or artificial intelligence today is very far from the types of reasoning humans are capable of. Notably, Judea Pearl explains that current machine learning methods are not capable of establishing causality. This could be the reason why many fields are struggling to automate even seemingly simple tasks. Either way, the crucial point is that machine learning clearly hasn't consumed all sectors of the economy yet. And that's probably a good thing. It's good because we haven't figured out a number of issues that could come back to bite us. One rarely discussed issue in particular is so great that it could result in unimaginable centralization of resources among only a few actors. 
I'm talking about power efficiency. Machine learning applications consume massive amounts of power. As an example, I mentioned the game of Go between Lisa Dahl and AlphaGo. While a human brain consumes around 20 watts of power, AlphaGo required orders of magnitude more, by some estimates around a million watts. So today, I want to discuss why this is the case and why it is a huge problem going forward. Specifically, I will approach this from the side of hardware. I will explain how modern computers, which rely on digital circuits, an architecture that separates memory and computing, I'll explain how these computers make it so that machine learning is so energy intensive. The fundamental principles behind computing have not changed since their inception. Conventional computers operate using binary logic, that is, using zeros and ones. Of course, these are just abstractions. Under the hood, everything is about electrical signals, i.e. their absence or presence, zero or one. Transistors have enabled precise control of electrical behavior, which in turn made physical Turing machines possible. That is, something that allows to realize arbitrary computer algorithms. But why do we use binary in the first place? To answer that, we have to understand what the alternative is. And it's not decimal, hexadecimal, or a similar system. The base of the system is not the point. It's the fact that binary is at the heart of digital logic. And when we talk about digital computing, the clearest alternative is analog computing. For our purposes, we can think of digital and analog. We can think of these paradigms as discrete and continuous, respectively. But let me give you an example that will illustrate the benefits and drawbacks of each. Suppose we have a coin sitting on a table. We want to use that coin to encode information. We could use the binary state of the coin, heads or tails, to encode one bit of information. That's the digital approach. Alternatively, we could use the coin's position on the table to encode much, much more information. We could say that if it's in the top left corner of the table, we will treat that as a zero. Coin one inch to the right of that corner will be treated as encoding a one. If it's two inches away, we will treat that as a two, and so on. For a table that is 40 by 30 inches, we could encode numbers up to 1200 using this scheme. If we decrease the spacing, we could encode any number. That's the idea behind analog computing. Clearly, the analog approach, i.e. using coins position, seems to be able to encode more information than the digital approach, i.e. using heads and tails. So why would anyone use the digital approach? Because it's more resilient. We can think of this in terms of both measurement and disturbance. It's very easy to read the binary state heads or tails of a coin, and it is very difficult to flip it by simply pushing the table. That's a good thing, actually. On the other hand, to measure the position of the coin, we need some sort of ruler. The more precise, the better. But there will always be uncertainty. Also, 
the coin might move even due to small vibrations on the table, which would result in loss of information. Of course, this is just an analogy, but what happens at the circuit level is very similar. Digital logic is less prone to electronic disturbances because states are very clearly separated. Also, it is much easier to measure such states because they are less ambiguous. The downside is that one needs a lot more circuitry to encode that same amount of information or perform computations. Even adding or multiplying, let's say, 8-bit numbers might require thousands of transistors. This contributes to circuit complexity and power consumption, and that is especially relevant in applications that deal with lots of data and lots of computations, for example, machine learning. But even greater challenge is that of computer architecture. General-purpose computing means that the same hardware should be able to perform various tasks. There shouldn't be a need to have a separate module for each. General-purpose computers rely on programs, instructions of what computations should be performed. So a natural way to realize this at the hardware level is to store the programs and other data in one place, which we may call memory, and have flexible compute units that can perform all kinds of basic operations like addition, subtraction, and so on, in another place. The separation of hardware into memory and compute units is called the von Neumann architecture. Although increasing the computation speed seems to be the most obvious way of making computers faster, nowadays it's not really the biggest issue. Due to von Neumann architecture, large amounts of data may have to be repeatedly moved between memory and compute units. It's this process that often consumes the most energy and time. This is often referred to as the von Neumann bottleneck. This bottleneck is especially a problem in machine learning. Because machine learning typically deals with massive amounts of data, not just the training examples, but also the models themselves, these data have to be moved over and over again. This contributes massively to the power consumption problem of modern AI applications. So, we have identified two main sources contributing to high power consumption in modern computers. The first is digital electronics, which rely on binary logic, a paradigm that is not a natural fit for many mathematical operations. The second is the von Neumann architecture, which requires repeatedly moving data between memory and compute units. Of course, it makes no sense to refer to these as issues if there are no alternatives. We use digital logic because it is reliable, and we use the von Neumann architecture because it follows naturally from the fact that we want to have general-purpose computers capable of executing arbitrary programs. However, my point is that we should be thinking about alternative approaches, even if they are not obvious right now. We are living in a world where technological innovations can be done increasingly only by those that have the financial resources. Today, innovations in deep learning come mostly not from improvements in the design of neural networks, but from making those networks larger. Nowadays, 
Training the largest machine learning models, such as GPT-3, may literally cost tens of millions of dollars, so it is natural that only very few actors are able to afford it. Given how important computing is in our lives, it is crucial to prevent it from being centralized. Remember GitHub Copilot, which I talked about before? Well, this program is powered by GPT-3. So whoever controls large AI models controls the future of computing. He who controls the spice controls the universe. Next time, I hope to discuss possible solutions to making hardware more fit for machine learning. In the meantime, please visit my website, yoshka.org. Y-O-S-H-K-E dot O-R-G. There you will find essays on similar topics as well as my contact information. This is my first time doing this, so I would love to hear what you think. Thank you so much for listening.